This is the podcast by The Straits Times. It's time for Donald Trump to pack his bags and go home. Under the Biden lockdown, the recovery will be totally killed. The economy will crash. Country can't afford it. This is Asian Insider, and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now, with the United States election just a day or two away, a big question I get sitting here in Washington, D.C. is who would Asia prefer, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Maybe prefer is not quite the right word. Maybe it's about who is better for Asia. Of course, in the end, Asia must coexist and deal with whoever becomes president of the United States of America. But what are the likely outcomes for Asia? Now, Asia is a big place, and today we will focus on two aspects, the U.S.-India relationship and the U.S.-China relationship. And I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Nirmala Ganapati, The Straits Times, India Bureau Chief in New Delhi, and Elizabeth Law, The Straits Times, China correspondent in Beijing. Nirmala, if I may start with you, we all know that India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi and President Donald Trump have this great relationship, and India seems now closer to the United States than at any time before. We've just had a swing through South Asia by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And in another signal that India is warming to the U.S., it has also invited Australia to send its assets for the Malabar naval exercises, which being which bring together India, the U.S., Japan, and now Australia, members, in fact, of the Quad, which has only recently gained a lot of traction. So since Secretary Pompeo has just been there, what is the feeling out there among the Indian strategic and security establishment about President Trump or a potential President Joe Biden? There is a sense now within the strategic community and, of course, within the establishment uh, that, you know, we need to kind of deepen the cooperation even more. And I think uh, Mr. Pompeo's visit, uh, you know, in the midst of a pandemic uh, and also at a time when uh, elections are taking place in the U.S. is also a signal of how important India-U.S. ties are. Um, I know that uh, in India, within the establishment and the strategic community, the, uh, the recent border troubles with China has only intensified the desire for even ties uh, with the U.S., uh, which is why you see India kind of throwing off this hesitation earlier in inviting Australia to the Malabar exercises and kind of uh, going and doing it. For many years, India kind of uh, stood on the fence because it didn't want to provoke China. But I think with the border trouble, which is the worst in over four decades, that yes, we need to take a stronger position on China at this point. And I think the uh, I think Mr. Pompeo's visit kind of uh, established that because uh, the foreign minister, Indian foreign minister, uh, Jay Shankar, he spoke about a multipolar Asia, which, uh, you know, indirectly kind of uh, refers to China. So in that sense, I think that initial hesitation that India had about pursuing closer ties with the U.S. is uh, is completely gone now. That yes, India will benefit, uh, uh, particularly uh, with China becoming more aggressive on its borders. Liz, um, a common line of attack here from President Donald Trump in his campaign speeches and so forth is that Joe Biden has been and will continue to be weak on China. Earlier, some weeks or months ago, the intelligence community in an assessment concluded that China would prefer Joe Biden as president, citing President Trump's unpredictability. Yet there is also a a contrarian narrative. Some analysts say a Trump presidency is preferable for China because America will draw down troops from the region eventually. President Trump does not want a new war. America will be internally further weakened if the country tears itself apart from within. So what are the views that you are picking up from the establishment out there? 
I think the Chinese leadership is now of a view that whichever man gets elected as president, it's it's not it's not going to be an easing of um, the sort of very hawkish China policy that that has that we've seen in the last two years, especially with the with the ramping up of the trade war and the sort of spiraling diplomatic relations. Um, the thing is that for President Donald Trump, while we we have seen that he has he has been very tough on China, he's really ramped up this trade war and diplomatic relations are really at the lowest in forty something years. Uh, the thing is that he has also been quite good for the Chinese leadership in the sense that this sort of rhetoric has has sparked a brand of nationalism. He's been good for Xi Jinping's personal standing. He's been good for the Chinese government's personal standing. It has really helped the country to band together in a way that look, America is trying to stop our rise and we need to band together because we are going to war. So that has been great for the Chinese leadership here. Now, on the other hand, Joe Biden would present for sure a more traditional um, form of diplomacy and he is more predictable. But at the same time, I think... uh, China also is very cognizant of the fact that even if Joe Biden comes back and there's a slightly softer approach, the fact is that the policies aren't quite going to change. It's still going to be quite a tough stance against China because as many people have pointed out, this is one of the few areas that there is cross-partisan agreement. So uh, we can't expect that Joe Biden, and clearly China doesn't expect that Joe Biden is going to go much softer. It's definitely not going to be a return to the Obama ways. I spoke to an analyst last week and he said, is that this um, hawkish stance against China is probably going to stay for at least the next 10 to 20 years. Okay, I'll stay with you for a moment. Here in the Democratic Party and among Joe Biden's advisors, there are differences of opinion. One as to which is the greater threat, China or Russia, but we'll leave that aside for the moment. The second is which is the greater threat, China or climate change. And if climate change is deemed a threat, as Joe Biden and his, you know, that side of the political aisle agrees it is, there is a view that the U.S. has to work with China uh, to address it. And there is a view that the U.S. should continue as competition is push back against China, but find a way to work with China on global issues, climate change, transnational crime, health and pandemics. Is there any appetite or room in China for that kind of it's complicated relationship, but compartmentalized relationship. Yeah, and I think we've seen from um, the recent five-year, pl- uh, well, the plenum that was just concluded uh, last week, where they talked about the plans for the next five years, basically a sort of blueprint. Clearly, we'll only see the full details of the plan next year uh, during the two sessions meeting. But the thing is that... <clears throat> China says that while it wants to be a tech power, at the same time, the party leadership has been very clear that this is not going to be a closed off rise of China. They do want to work with the rest of the world. They do want to have this sort of very cooperative stance because they feel that this um, them just rising on their own isn't, isn't quite very good PR for them. So I think they're trying to take a slightly softer approach, a more collaborative approach as well. Um, I think... Also, we've seen that in terms in terms of vaccines, clearly China is now racing ahead. But I think they have said many, many times throughout this entire year, throughout the pandemic, that there is a global health crisis that is going on. And as the two largest superpowers in the world, it is China and the U.S.'s responsibility to try and work together to put an end to this. But uh, clearly, because of the way diplomatic relations are at this point, there is really no coming together to talk and cooperate. It really is a lot of shouting at each other. So there is a good sense here that maybe after next week or when um, 
the results of the election can be determined, then that would get, be out of the way and we can finally come back to business and get back to what we need to do to try and get the world back in order. Okay, Nirmala, back to you in New Delhi again. Now, there's this sort of um, general feeling, perception that a democratic uh, uh, dispensation in Washington, D.C. is normally a little tougher on human rights. And uh, mm -hmm. some Democratic Congress people and so forth have already criticized India in terms of what India has been doing in Kashmir um, and so forth. Is there a concern in India that mm -hmm. this and also a second uh, uh, issue, trade, will sort of come up to the fore under a Democratic uh, uh, president here if Joe Biden wins? Uh, yes, there is a sense, of a little bit of an unease. Um, uh, even though India-US ties enjoy bipartisan support, um, there is unease within the establishment about, uh, you know, the Democrats' record on speaking up on human rights on the issue of Kashmir. Um, you know, in 2015, uh, President Obama uh, came to India. He had a wonderful... But just before uh, leaving, he spoke about religious harmony in India and the importance of it. So, so you know, that's not been forgotten in there is a sense that if the Democrats do come to uh, office, that there will be greatest uh, scrutiny on um, uh, human rights um, issues related to Kashmir, uh, where there's been uh, Kashmir has been on the boil since uh, last year when um, um, the Modi government uh, uh, scrapped special status. Um, you've seen protests. Uh, in the region. So, um, uh, you know, yes, there is a, definitely a sense of uh, unease about how the Democrats would deal with human rights. And it, it is a sensitive uh, subject uh, in, in India and the Indian government. And which is why you see um, such support for Donald Trump, because he's largely ignored India's internal issues. And um, so that's, that's just suited the Indian government perfectly. So yes, there is that sense of unease, and also on trade, there is a sense that trade issues might come to the fore. Nirmala, in terms of the Quad, the Quad is seen by China, and Liz, I'll get you into this as well, but Nirmala, first, the Quad is seen by China as an, an anti-China alignment. China's been sort of upset about it and making noises about it. How is it being framed in India strategically, the Quad? Uh, in India, it's uh, seen as a security uh, grouping, and the Indian government has been very careful to stress that it's not a contained China grouping. Um, uh, though, uh, I mean, that's on the record. Of course, uh, behind the scenes, uh, India has been hesitant about inviting Australia to be part of the Malabar exercises, knowing uh, Chinese sensitivities. But I think this year, uh, things have shifted uh, in the relationship with China. Um, with the border troubles uh, between India and China, the worst in over four decades, there is a sense within India that India needs to take a stronger position in Asia. And I think this uh, grouping is a result of that, a sense of, you know, wanting to uh, strategically align with these other three countries um, in a way uh, to kind of... Uh, act as a counter to China. But officially, of course, the government is framing it in a completely different way, saying that, you know, this is a strategic grouping, uh, which is uh, focused on the security of the Indo-Pacific and mm -hmm. not necessarily against China. Liz, what is the view from Beijing of these developments of the Quad? 
Well, clearly there is the official view, and then there is the semi-official semi view as well. So the official view is that they are they are more or less ambivalent towards it. They feel that this is something that um, that you are you are entitled to groupings. But of course, uh, in in recent in recent months, especially as tensions have ratcheted, especially with the Indian border troubles that um, Namala has mentioned earlier uh they are they are using china has been using the court as a as as a means of saying that look this is this is people trying to prevent china's rise i think if um i calculated correctly in the last month in editorials in the official um china daily and in uh the global times which tends to be a little bit more hawkish and nationalistic i the court and uh, india have been mentioned in editorials at least 20 times so it clearly shows that this is this is something that China is very sensitive about, and especially when Australia was invited to be in the Malabar exercises, not forgetting diplomatic relations are rather tense between China and Australia as well. Um, we get we get a sense that the, the court is something that is being viewed with suspicion, and when you when you look at it in greater context, with China having diplomatic tensions with individual members of the court, I think it shows that this. This is, this is something that while China is trying to appear like they are above the fray, it is something that uh, they are very concerned about. The question of Taiwan. Now, Taiwan has become, uh, you know, top of mind in recent months and uh, has become quite a big issue. What does China expect to happen on Taiwan in, we know if President Trump gets a second term, it'll be more of the same, more or less. But are there is there any thinking out there on what the situation we're thinking will be on Taiwan in Washington, D.C. under democratic dispensation? Well, I think the sense is that um, they do understand that because this is uh, the, the Trump administration has been really trying to prod the Chinese uh, leadership. So there are visits by um, U.S. officials to to Taiwan and clearly China is responding. But I think what is very clear is that they are also wary of um, and they they are clear that they need to make a proportionate response and they are wary of uh, getting to having having an overwhelmingly uh, violent response because I think uh, the sense is that they know that they don't want to go to war. Um, but with a democratic leadership, I think the idea is that it would be slightly more cooperative. But I think the, the fact is that we know that with a DPP leadership in Taiwan, that they are definitely not going to be behind uh, having a, a sort of relationship the way we saw a Mindjo government, a Kuomintang government, where they were uh, a lot more open and accepting of uh, China. And it definitely that whole idea of one country two systems and a peaceful reunification at some point that is definitely out of uh it's out of the question at the at this point in time but might we see a relationship now where they are going to come to the table and talk a lot more or is there going to be a better peaceful coexistence i think there is a hope there that a democratic leadership under uh joe biden is going to be uh a lot less aggressive and a lot less aggravating. But I think things still remain to be seen. 
Okay, Nirmala, last quick one to you. Um, <clears throat> out there in India, you have all kinds of things going on. You have the economic problems, you have an election, an election in Bihar, and you have this China issue. How much attention is being paid to the American election in the Indian media? I'm curious. Um, actually, there is uh, quite a bit of uh, attention to the U.S. election. In fact, I think it's more than previous uh, U.S. elections. And I, I mean, that's to do with the uh, personal camaraderie that uh, Donald Trump and Narendra Modi enjoy. And that was uh, highlighted during Mr. Trump's visit to India earlier this year, where he and Mr. Modi um, shared a platform at a massive rally. So, you know, that that's kind of triggered a lot of interest in the U.S. elections. And I would say there's been a lot of uh, media coverage uh, of the elections, also analysis of who would be better for India. Would it be Biden or a Biden uh, presidency or a Trump presidency to continue? Right, that's the question we're all getting. Anyway, thank you very much, Nirmala Ganapati in New Delhi and Elizabeth Law in Beijing. Thank you very much for your time today. Wonderful having you on board. Thank you. Nirmala. Thank you. So here in Washington, D.C., we are on tenterhooks because we do not know if on the night of November 3rd, there will be an actual announcement or a call on who will be the next president of the United States of America. It might be days or even weeks before we know that. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Kosh. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.